ashamed of yourself, Pastor. I often am. <laughs> but thank, thank goodness for God's grace. Yes. Take a deep breath. That's right. <laughs> From Psalm 119, Oh Lord, princes persecute us without cause. We, we do face governmental powers, the, the powers that be in this world that push back against those who would seek to follow you. But our hearts stand in awe of your words. They stand in awe of all that you have done. So we rejoice at your word, like one who finds great spoil, wonderful treasures. We hate and abhor falsehood, but we love your law. Seven times a day we will praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. We hope for your salvation, O Lord, and we do not and we do your commandments. Our souls keep your testimonies. We love them exceedingly. We keep your precepts and testimonies, for all our ways are before you. Amen. Amen. That um, verse 64 there where it says seven times a day, that's not necessarily actually, you know, like seven oh, times dude. a day, you know, um, like the, uh, the monastics did, that, you know, the, the monastic hours. Uh, but that's probably where that comes from, uh, where the hours come from, you know. But the idea is that seven is a, the perfect number, the number of creation. And uh, so, you know, it's kind of a, an all day long type of thing. Um, it's interesting when you look at different traditions in terms of, you know, how often should you pray and, and, and all of those kinds of things. Um, you'll get different answers. Uh, just so you know, in the Lutheran Catechism, you know, you've got morning, you've got mealtime, which at Luther's time was pretty much the middle of the day. You didn't have three meals a day, usually. You had one larger meal. Um, and uh, uh, so you had morning, you had mealtime, and then you had evening. So from the monastic hours to just, you know, pre and post dinner and, uh, you know, morning and bedtime. Breakfast, dinner, and supper. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, so we're still in Romans 5. Um, I set a new record last time. Got through a whole half verse. Uh... <laughs> So, uh, again, Romans 5, and I should say, I'm okay with that. I, I said from the very outset, you know, I, I want to go slowly. Uh, you know, I want to really, you know, dig into everything that's here. Uh, but I don't want to frustrate you either. So if that becomes, you know, you know what, what you're experiencing, let me know. Let you know rather than throw things. Or, or just quit coming, you know, don't, I don't want you to quit coming. Um, so, uh, Romans 5, starting with verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because, of, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So, Two weeks ago when we were together last, I, I ended with a story about the Unitarian funeral. Um, and uh, at that Unitarian funeral, uh, part, of the, uh, part of the sermon, um, the pastor said that you know, God knew that it was going to be too much for Adam and Eve to live forever, and so he gave them death as a gift. 
Um, and uh, I'm not trying to pick on Unitarians in general, but very much this particular message, um, I think is, is pertinent to our culture that in a lot of ways embraces death in ways that are not healthy. Um, and uh, it, we should be very clear uh, that death is not our friend. Not, 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 not in that sense. You know, we don't fear death because we know that Jesus has defeated death for us and we don't run away from it. But if all things were as God intended, you know, we would not die. It's sin that brings death to us. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26, Paul writes, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy. Now, we're going to get to the, this wonderful passage in Romans chapter 8 that says that God works all things to the good of those who love him and keep his commandments. Even the evils of this world, God uses them. So even something like death, he will use for our good to bring us into everlasting life, to deliver his gifts to us. Uh, you know, so... Um, there is a sense then that when we suffer, you know, you can see where somebody would say, death is our friend because it ushers us out of this world. But in a lot of ways, death is the, the last consequence. It is not our friend. And um, it, it is not part of what God had intended for us. And so as we experience that part of this life on this side of glory, um, there is, while there may be relief in it, there's always some sorrow and pain that's intrinsic in that. Even when we hold on and recognize the hope that is to come. You know, even when we you know, are thankful for, for the relief for the person that has died, there's still a, a brokenness that we experience in death. And, and that, I think, is, is part of... of how it's intended to be. You know, it's, it's intended to be a consequence and, and it's intended to be a negative for us. Um, and it's just that because of Christ's victory, you know, that we can look and say, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, oh death, where is your, your sting? You know, Jesus has taken that for us so that we don't experience the fullness of that um, oppressive type of attack that you might get from what we would consider an enemy. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, so death entered the world through sin. Genesis 2.17, in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Um, that was God's word to uh, Adam. And uh, um, we know that when they died, or when they ate, they didn't physically die, but we understand them to be spiritually dead in the way that we talk about in Ephesians chapter 2, which you know, we're working through in, the, uh, in, in our sermons, in the book of Ephesians. And again, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, um, and we'll, we'll get to this again, uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the Christian faith, you, you have these two things in tension with one another, or, or in a sense competing with one another, it, it, at least in how we experience life. 
that you have death and life just bouncing off of each other. Um, I had a conversation with uh, Pastor Koenig uh, one time, and uh, I was I was thinking about my brother who was deployed somewhere at the time. I don't remember where, um, but just thinking about the responsibility of a military commander, you know, in a combat situation, you go, you know, and I was like, his job is really, you know, life and death. And, and Wayne looks at me and goes, so is yours. <laughs> and that was a perspective changer for me in, in some ways, but I, I would actually look at it slightly differently now that it's not, what we, what we do here as a church is not a matter of life and death, it's a matter of death and life. We're bringing life to people who are dead. And that, that is, a, I think, a really important uh, aspect to who we are. You know, when we, when we do evangelism, um, it's not just a matter of, you know, hey, I found something nice, I want to share it with you. I found life. I've received a great, great treasure that I want to share. Now, there are different kinds of death. I've already dug into this a little bit when we start talking about spiritual death and, and the like. There's normal death, the death that we're all going to experience when our you know, hearts stop and uh, our, our, our lungs stop taking in air and eventually our brains stop ticking. Um, and, and that is just a... A, a normal part of, of our experience of, of life. It's biological. There's spiritual death, th this separation from God, um, where if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have life, you are dead. dead. Um, and then there is eternal death. And that is what we would call uh, damnation, damnation, uh, you know, in, the, in the judgment, it's hell. Um, and as we look at how we experience death in this world, I think sometimes it's unfortunate that we use the same word for different things. Mm -hmm. you know, I, like, I find this... Kind of like love. I, mean, I was just going to say, yeah. It gets so confusing sometimes. You know, um, so when we talk about death, I think it's important for us to, to think what, what, are, what are exactly are we saying? What are exactly are we talking about? So some people will say, well, Jesus saves us from death, but that, you know, you know Aunt Sally still died. So where was Jesus? We're still going to die as the consequence of our... our Sin. It's just part of the, the, the brokenness of this life, uh, the deadness of this world. Um, but God has made that the gate to everlasting life. But she's definitely been saved from spiritual death. And through faith in Jesus, she's been saved from eternal death. And it's just kind of a fun aside. When were you saved from eternal death? Yeah, when you came to faith, whether that was when you were baptized, which as Lutherans, that's you know that's like the standard answer, you know, 
I was a baby. I got baptized. You know, the Spirit did His work. Came to faith. You know, others experience it differently. You know, they hear the word and they come to faith. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's still the word, though. It is the word with the water, mm -hmm. the the word in with and under the the bread and the wine, the word directly spoken. Um, in all of those cases, you know, it, it's delivering life to us. It makes us alive. Um, so faith is a matter of death and life. And uh, I sometimes wonder if it receives that kind of emphasis in our lives. And usually when I ask a question like that, I'm condemning myself. You know, <laughs> just kind of... We, we go through the motions sometimes, don't we? Or, or we just kind of feel like we're just doing what we do. You know, for those of you who were at the early service, I asked the question, you know, why do we do what we do? Do we ever think about that in terms of life and death? And what, what's been done for us? Mostly we do things because that's what we've always done. Yeah. And we do that, we always do it because that's what we were taught. Yeah. And we're good, obedient Lutherans. And we do what we're told to do. And I think, I think there's an element of just being people. Oh, yeah. Most of us are. I try to be from time to time. Just for the variety? Yeah. But also the culture at large. Okay. It's life and death there, too. Yes. Yeah, you know, and so when we say that we are, are, when Jesus says we are the light of the world, there's a dichotomy there that says, you know, the world is darkness. Um, so if we are people who have been given life, yeah. then we live in that dichotomy that the world is in death, you know, and... And be the salt, as Chris Quinn likes to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which has another life-giving type of, yeah. you know, a preservative type of imagery that's that's connected to it. Um, you know, and the, the thing that strikes me is, is, I mean, these things are like opposites. You know, you know, light and dark. You're not going to confuse one from the other. <laughs> you know, life and death. You know, you're you're generally not going to confuse the two. Um, and uh, because of because of our sin, I think that sometimes we live in a way that makes it pretty easy to confuse us with everything else. You know, and uh, I think that there's been an element of that through the whole history of the world. Mm -hmm. So I don't want us to like beat ourselves up like you know we're the first people to screw this up or something. But at the same time, to recognize that and to remember, what was Jesus' first sermon? The kingdom of heaven has come. Repent and believe the good news. So the focus becomes what has Jesus done and how do we turn away from those behaviors that look like the death of culture. And by that I don't mean like, you know, rap music or rock music or... I mean, just kind of the 
deadness that is part of this world to be more reflective of life, following Jesus into life. And it starts with believing the good news. Christ died for you. Now, I do think it's important to recognize the self-destructive part that's, that's inside of us, the, the sinful nature. Um, I, this is recognized in culture as well. Um, I love this, this little cartoon clip from Pogo. Um, this little line is something that, uh, I can't remember who drew Pogo, but, uh, uh, what's that? I think it's Kelly. Kelly? Yeah. That, something that he returned to several times. In 1971, he did an Earth Day poster with this little saying from Pogo on there. Um, and you can tell that this one is environmentally uh, oriented too by looking at the picture. Um, he says, you know, we have met the enemy and he is us. Mm -hmm. you know, often the things that lead us into death are our own thoughts and passions. And, and you know, there's just this really strong self-destructive nature in that. And one of my favorite examples of this is actually from Terminator 2. Um, a little bit of wisdom from uh, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, or the Terminator. Uh, the Governor. The Governor. Um, so there's this scene. John Connor is kind of the main character, and uh, he is going to be um, a really important figure in the future, and um, another Terminator has been sent back to the past to assassinate him, so he can't become that important. You know, figure. And uh, Arnold has been sent to the past to protect him. And uh, there's this, this scene where they're running away from the, uh, the assassin and uh, they've found a moment to rest and they're kind of like in this little campground and these two kids are like chasing each other around and they got toy guns and they're shooting each other. Mm -hmm. And John says, we're not going to make it, are we? And the Terminator says, it's in your nature to destroy yourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we recognize that our sinful nature, that that's exactly what it does, is it destroys us. Um, I, I think that's really important in terms of how we're going to, to engage the world and, and think about our own lives. But I also think it's really important in terms of Recognizing what God has done then. If this self-destructiveness is part of who we are as sinful people, well, it, then Jesus injects life into that and, and delivers life into it. That, that's, that's a powerful contrast. It's, it's a total switch from what we were to what we are. And it's all by gift. And so death spread because all sinned. And I, I, I really want to give this sense of how, how deep it, the corruption of human nature is. You know, because the message is, is out there that people are, are basically good. And in some senses, you know, in a civic sense, you know, we can be righteous. You know, where the, the pagan stops and helps to change the tire. You know? Uh, the, the Buddhist um, offers fruit to the, the, the neighbor. Uh, you know, all, all of these, these kinds of things. 
that are that are what we would call a, a civic righteousness. But it's not the righteousness that we have before God through faith in Jesus. A significant amount of the church fathers were influenced by Plato and Aristotle. Yeah. Neither of whom are Christians. Correct. Or Jews, for that right. matter. Yeah. You, you know, so some of their writings, you know, you kind of have to sift through some of that and and do what we're doing even now is you know going back to the text this is one of the things i you met you mentioned love mm -hmm. all right so what is love you know well what is the what does the text say you know because we have all kinds of ideas about what love is and what it should look like how much of that is actually informed by what God says in his word? How much of it is extrapolated from that? How much of it is just our own ideas? You know, and so when we look at people, you know, we have these different definitions of what is good and what is bad. And, and um, there are things today that people would consider good that in the past would be considered ridiculous. You know, some of the stuff about tolerance. You know, people in the past would say, that's ridiculous. Some of it's actually not all that bad. <clears throat> well, people in the future may think it's ridiculous too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We live in a little snippet of time at the moment. I, I sometimes wonder that, what, what people in the future will look back and say, boy, were they dumb. <laughs> I'm glad I won't be here to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Just remember, bell-bottom trousers are making a good comeback. Oh, no. And that's not the worst of it. Some of the stuff from the 80s is kind of wild. Anyhow. And so the picture that's presented here is, is that uh, there is no spark of goodness in, in us. There's no godliness uh, and that we're powerless and dead that's apart from the Holy Spirit. That's really important in terms of this contrast between Adam and Jesus. So, we've been going down, down, down. Hopefully, let's start going up here. Some happier things. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, the, this word free gift, it's one word in, uh, in Greek, the word charisma. Um, charis is the word for gift. It's also the word for grace. You know, so when it says this free gift uh, is not like the trespass, there is very much in that, in the sense of this grace is not like the trespass. And when we say trespass, um, it's, it's always worth thinking about what, what do words mean? You know, trespass, 
where I grew up, there was a neighbor by the name of Meisenheimer who had signs everywhere, no trespassing. You know, sometimes there, you know, you will be shot. You know, those types of things. Survivors will be shot again. That's right. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, the idea of trespass means that you go across a line. You know, so words that we often think of with with trespass, transgression, comes to us from the Latin, right, Wes? Mm -hmm. To to go across a line, right, or or to go too far. Um, it, it, this, this is, a, a, I think, a great picture of what sin is. It's to go where we didn't belong, to cross a line. Um, but he says that the free gift is not like that, where you went too far. It, it comes to us grace as a gift. And, and this, is, this is where the salvation is. It's in the grace and in the gift. And it comes to us with abundance. Um, it's more than enough. So if one person died through one man's trespass, there, there's this abundance, this abounding of the grace that Jesus gives. And Jesus is this, this one man. Um, and so he is, like humanity, um, reduced to one. Um, some of you like to cook. You ever do a reduction? Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of... Kind of the image that's here, you know, you get get rid of all the extraneous stuff, and you're left with the thing that matters, the thing that you actually want. Um, well, Jesus is that one, that 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 bit that's left in, in order to represent the the whole humanity boiled down to one person, and uh, and he comes to represent all people then. And then verse 16, again, talks about a free gift, but now it's a different word. Uh, it's the word dorema. And I think what Paul is doing here is he's using these two different words that have slightly different meanings. Gift and gift. Um, they have slightly different meanings to talk about the gift that's being given. Uh, like a door here would be sort of more like when you get when you are at Christmas and you get given a box with wrapping on it, that's uh, that's a Dora yeah. gift. Yeah. Uh, hence Pandora, who was given stuff by the gods. Yeah. Stuff, not grace. Yeah, and intriguingly, the last thing left in the box when she lets out all the evils, hope. hope. Yeah. Um, and so, grace. And gift, you know, he, he's kind of playing this off of each other. So he's emphasizing that this gift is from God's grace. And it's something that's given absolutely freely. So the free gift, the, the, the dorema, is not like the result of the one man's sin. It's not like Adam's sin. For judgment followed. Uh, judgment, and it leads to condemnation, to uh, punishment, uh, uh, this word, um, it, it means uh, a sentence of doom. I like that word, doom. Um, I mean, where do we use that word? I mean, Marvel Comics, you got Doctor Doom, but you're, you're doomed. That's, that's a powerful, powerful statement. And that's where we are, you know, because of our sin. 
And that's an unpopular teaching in our world. That the world is doomed. Most people won't even accept that there's sin. I don't know about most, but a lot, yeah. 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 Sin is something that the church invented to get people to come and give them money. Right. Yes. That I've heard that one before. So the world is doomed and is condemned. It's not that we are here condemning the world. That that's its its natural status. Um, and in First John chapter one verses nine through thirteen, um, John actually brings this teaching to the forefront. He says, "The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world." So the world was dark, you know, and light is coming in. He was in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. You, know, you got this, this separation, this alienation. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. They weren't before who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, it's, it's this picture of this intervention in, in a system that, that, that's falling apart. And in, in John 3.18, he says, you know, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Notice, it doesn't say that Jesus condemned them. In fact, in the verse before this, it says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He didn't have to send Jesus into the world to condemn the world because it already was condemned. Yeah. And so what we're doing here, what the core of our faith is about, is, is bringing life and salvation into death. It's, it's bringing hope to the damned. And so this, this free gift uh, to justification, um, and I, I, I want to keep coming back to this idea that justification, it's, it's this removal of guilt, this acquittal. This keyword for Romans is righteousness, right? This passively declared righteousness that's given to us. <coughs> so the one free gift brings death. This free gift brings righteousness, and the actions of these two representatives of all of humanity, all of humanity boiled down to one in each instance, it, it, very different results. So Adam's sin uh, leads to judgment and doom. And that's the default for our lives. Jesus' free gift is the intervention of grace that moves us from transgression to acquittal and forgiveness. And the distance between those two things, it's huge. And I, I think that's worth pondering. I sometimes wonder if... So it says that, you know, the joy of the Lord will be my strength and, and that we have joy in Christ's salvation. I sometimes wonder if part of the reason that maybe we struggle with joy is that we don't recognize how big that leap is, how big the intervention is. Does that make sense? You know, if I wasn't so bad, and Jesus died to pay for the little itty-bitty sins that I had, you know, 
well, thanks, but maybe if I just worked a little bit harder, I might have gotten there on my own. But if I was dead, you know, wrapped up in the, the, this shroud that the one man, you know, representative of all humanity, um, and now all of a sudden I have life, that's huge. So both of these actions of, of these two representatives of all of humanity, they're very potent. Um, one leads the world, uh, leads to the world being ordered and oriented toward death, and the other leads to righteousness and life. So if someone is going to be saving themselves by being extra good, right? Yeah. Weren't they supposed to be that good in the first place? So where's the extra coming from? Or rather, they're being good, and the base level for everything else was actually not good. It was evil. Right. I, I think that people have this idea that, you know, you're on a sinking ship, and you can just pump the water out, and then you can remain afloat. Um, but there's no pump. Right. You're, the only thing that you're doing is causing less water to come in, but it's still coming in, you're still going to sink. It's the Santa Claus effect. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you know how, how does that go for Christmas? Well, you better be good or Santa won't bring you any yes. gifts. So, right. And, and so in our relationship with God, it's like, oh, well, I'm going to be good so that he will give me gifts. Except a free gift is not something that is given because you did something. It's something that's given completely out of God's mercy and kindness and goodness to us. So um, there's a switch. There, there, there's, there's an intervention that's being um, done in the world when Jesus comes. And this reorientation it's it's a shift in the the whole logic of the way that the the world is uh it, it's it's a, a new kingdom that has come and jesus talks about this when he in mark 1 verse 15 says the kingdom of god has come repent and believe the good news and there's a little bit of a of a challenge for us with this because when when we think of kingdoms, we tend to think of geographical places. But the word kingdom here, it's not just a, a, a place. It's, it's actually God's reign. R-E-I-G-N. It's, it's, it's that his kingship has come. Because if we want to talk about what is the kingdom of God, did he not create all things? Is this not all his? Mm -hmm. It, it, and so that, that already existed. So when it says that the kingdom of heaven has come, it, it means that he has come with his mercy and his grace to rule in a whole different way than the world has ever experienced. To rule through forgiveness and, and, and through his salvation. And the response to that is to repent, to, to turn, to change the way that we think and that we act, and to believe. Notice that. It's not repent and get your life together and do everything right. It's repent, turn away from this logic that says you have to gain and earn everything for yourself and believe this good news that there's a gift 
that is being given to you. And it doesn't matter how many Hail Marys you say. Correct. And then in uh, Revelation 11, verse 15, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And that's really the consummation of that, uh, that gift that's being given when finally um, all of the, the, the sinful logic of the world is taken away and, and it all conforms to Jesus in his grace and in his mercy. So we have two kingdoms that we're living in and there are different logics that are involved with it. And uh, in the kingdom of this world, there are some, uh, I think, interesting biblical gods that represent the, the logic of the kingdom of this world. Um, the first is Moloch. Remember hearing about Moloch? Yeah. Moloch was the god of the Moabites in the Old Testament. Uh, uh, apparently in the Old Testament, they really liked bulls. Um, so he was a man with a kind of a bull head, and he sat on a, a, a throne... And um, they were usually made out of brass, and um, uh, the inside of his belly was hollow right above his hands, um, and uh, it was hollow so that they could build big fires in there. And, you know, so you would have this fire that's kind of coming out and superheating his hands, and um, uh, part of the worship was to um, offer children, laying them you know, on the hands. Um, a bunch of archaeologists for hundreds of years said that this didn't exist and it was some, you know, uh, xenophobic, you know, remark in the Bible because, of course, you know, no one could be that evil. And then, oops, we found one. <laughs> yeah, you know, archaeology is often a, a good friend of uh, biblical studies. Well, it's a good friend to biblical studies, but it's a better friend to those who don't like the Bible because, um, well, let's just say that there, there are some ingrained biases. Well, yeah, but in the moment, um, you know, when the studies are done, it is over and over again confirmed the, the, the timeline, which I find fascinating. Um, but uh, Molech is a symbol of cruel power. You know, do, do we see that in, in government today, that there's cruelty seeking after power? So it reminds you of the Aztecs, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, go ahead. It's, it's just, uh, you know, the Aztecs were cruel power. It was just, yeah, just... In your face power. Yeah. And there are a lot of people even now that want to be part of that power. They don't want the power to be there against them, but they want to be in a position to say, you're done. Yeah. And I will watch, you know, I will cut you away an inch at a time and watch you suffer. And humans really aren't very nice people. <laughs> Especially when we pursue these other gods. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of people that think they're Christian, but that there's a big part of them inside that really wants that kind of power and that kind of revenge. We want to make them pay. Yeah. 
You know, so with the Aztecs, I mean, a big part of their religion was human sacrifice right. in order to gain that power for the, the, the community, uh, you know, or maybe even just for the leaders. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, some of the stuff, I mean, they talk about just a whole groups of people being sacrificed. Yeah. It's just mind boggling. You know, and this world has all kinds of systems that are rooted in cruelty in order to achieve power for somebody else. So um, one of the, the ideas that's really popular in our culture right now uh, is critical race theory. Now, critical race theory is, as far as I can tell, uh, kind of the, the, the modern uh, manifestation of Marxism in a lot of ways. And when, I, when you hear Marxism, I'm sure that some of you are like, oh, well, that's Marxism is bad. Here's the thing about Marxism. When you recognize inequities and injustices in the world and you complain about them, is that good? Yes. Can you come up with bad solutions to the problems of the world? Yes. So, you know, there are problems. And critical race theory, I think, is calling out some of those problems. Now, I'm not convinced that they have all the right answers. You know, and I think that there's room for, for some conversation and some debate about that. But to look and to say, have people been mistreated to the advantage of somebody else? Mm -hmm. Yes. Daily. Yeah. Everywhere. It's all over the place. That's Molech. That is part of the logic of this world. It's part of what, what keeps the, the government going. It's what keeps the economy flowing and, and, and all of that. And I would submit to you that as Christians, we are called to a different logic. Mammon, Jesus speaks about this one. This is the love of money. Does the love of money guide people into all kinds of crazy and evil things? And yet, this is very much at the core of a lot of the, the logic of our lives. Well, you need money. Yeah. Do you need all of it? Of course. You know, it, 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 Jesus pushes back against this. And, uh, well, I, I, think, I think I want to come back and pick it up with Mammon to talk about the logic of this world um, because we need to talk about Baal and Asherah and, uh, and sacrifice on, on top of that. So... Um, I am very hopeful to finish chapter 5 next week and to get into some really fun stuff in chapter 6, hopefully next week as well. So, God's blessings, everybody. Thank you.